0: Yo, what's good? Welcome to the Arlington Cinema Draft House Podcast. This is your host, Petey Steele. And
1: your host, Elena Torres. And today, we have a very special guest making big moves in the DC comedy scene. Everybody's talking about her. She has a very interesting life. We have a lot to ask her about. Please welcome the hilarious Patty
2: Mata. Yay. Yeah, it's me, Patty Mata. Guys, thanks
1: for having me. Thank you so much for being on the show. So, Patty, I have seen you ripping it up in these DC comedy streets. Uh, how long have you been doing comedy now?
2: It's so, it's, I feel very grateful that you say that. It's also funny because I've been doing it for a little over a year now. Mm-hmm. And the imposter syndrome just hits so hard when people think things like that. You're like, am I? Or am I just failing um no but I've been doing it for a little over a year and it's been a blast honestly i love doing comedy
1: that's awesome how have you had any like breaks where you've noticed like things you started getting more time or was there a joke that you started doing that started helping you because I feel like I met you at an open mic a while ago and you were like very fresh and mm-hmm. from And that was maybe like less than a year ago, but from then to now, I feel like I see you everywhere. Like you're doing great. You know, you're on bigger shows. You're kind of, you're doing mics, but you're doing great showcases and everybody's talking about how funny you are. Somebody once told me that she's, that you were too funny, too early. (laughs) So have you noticed when, when did you kind of notice things start to move for you a little bit?
2: I think I think it's a couple things. I think for one, I feel like I had to just get over myself um, as far as on an ego level of being too afraid to try things and put myself out there. I feel like that's such a huge barrier to actually growing is you're so worried about what does this person think or trying to impress people as opposed to like, I love doing this. This is an art. I get to be creative and just have fun. So I feel like when I shifted that, it helped a lot as far as not not being afraid to go after those opportunities. But honestly, I just feel like the thing I feel the most grateful for in comedy is just the relationships. I feel like when you have folks who just believe in you, people who've been doing it for longer, who are just like, hey, you may not feel ready for these opportunities, but I want to help you get there. I I think that is something that I didn't anticipate being such a huge part of this, but the mentorship piece has definitely been a big thing. So I feel like those two things definitely have helped a lot
1: so different to when I started comedy I don't know about you Petey but like this new generation of comics I've noticed like the new people coming up it's so nice yeah yeah. was it it you or somebody who like brought flowers to somebody for the first time they got on on the improv I was like that is a really different vibe
0: right right I started
1: like really different vibe
0: that was not me
1: no, it would like, like, uh, Petey, you're not as, you're not as in this, but like this new generation of comics, it's like really weird. They are like, it, it's like a very nice experience, your first year of comedy. Like, look how much gl- Patty's glowing time at her first year of comedy. I would like, <laughs> you're like,
2: <laughs> like, I'm not threatening to throw myself off a building yet. Yeah, that, I mean,
1: my, my first year of comedy was horrible with that, yep. topic, like from other comics specifically, like people yep. were really mean, really mean. Yeah, was
0: no, it, it was. It was rough when I got in it. I mean, it yeah. was like gauntlet. Like even people that are mentors to me today kind of were hating on me. Randolph, told me, Randolph told me thought I was like kind of doing a put on. He didn't realize I was like <laughs> authentically who I was until like a year and a half later. And funny enough, that named you Patty is like somebody who was doing great for someone new, and I was like, wow, like he doesn't typically give you know positive feedback that fast
1: she disappeared
0: i saw (laughs) patty you there
1: she's here so much for new comics being nice they just hang up on us oh she's got again i'm
2: sorry am i just i don't know why it keeps kicking me out but um it's kicking you out Yeah, it'll literally, like, it just ended. I just assumed that there, like, the call ended by accident, but I think it's fine now. It should be fine. I took my headphones out in case that that was, like, a contributing factor, but um, All good. um, I was like, I don't like what PD's saying, so I'm just gonna Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. We're talking about how nice new the new
1: generation of comics are,
2: and then you hung up on us. We're nice until you start talking. We're just like, you know what, I I have more important things to
1: do. Um, Did you start start comedy with friends or were you just like by yourself and then you made friends
2: okay so this is what's so funny is I was working part-time for a building where I was throwing events for the building and I hired Brock Snyder as our um vendor for a comedy show and when we were not interviewing him but we were just talking to him about you know the potential of him throwing this event I told him yeah I've you know had an interest in comedy he was like you should perform at the show that were doing at your apartment I was like absolutely not I am not gonna embarrass myself in front of people that I have to see every day in my building uh but then I ended up long story short I lost a bet and I take bets very seriously if I make a bet and someone holds me to it it's like a blood contract situation so I ended up doing the show and then loved it but it took me a few months to actually start doing shows so I didn't know like, there's not really a blueprint for people who've never done comedy to know how to start. So, I started with uh, some bringer shows that Brock had introduced me to. And then from there, you know, met people. But yeah, Brock Snyder is the the guy who kind of got me into it, into, which is really funny. Origin story. So
0: hilarious because acts sim- acts very similar to how I got started there. Oh, really? 20- yeah, in 2010, there was this open mic called The Looking Glass up in Petworth. It was this bar, and it was the only Monday night mic. So all the big people in the scene would come. At that point in DC comedy, there wasn't even a single mic every night. When I, like, officially, officially started in 2012... I opened up one on Fridays at the Dancing Crab and everybody flocked to me because it was like, holy fuck, there's a Friday night open mic. And I was like, wow, I'm doing something special. Even <laughs> though I this is like 101. But anyway, right. 20, and this guy I knew who was a regular there, a friend of mine said, hey, there's this open mic. I bet you would be funnier than 85% of the people there. And I said, oh, bullshit. Because I know I'm funny like in the street and stuff, but I always thought- <laughs> <The> street. <laughs> Yeah, right. Put in the sheet, you know, there you go. Um, I I thought it was something completely different and I realized doing it, there was a little more overlap than I thought because I killed, but like you, then I think I had that imposter syndrome. I thought it was a fluke and then I did it nine more times in the next two weeks and every time killed except for like the last time. And then I was like, all right, I think I can do this, but I'm not going to commit right now because there will be some bombs and I don't want to. Deal with anything that I was finding a job, sure. at And then I stopped. And then after a year of doing social work, I was like, uh I need to do something more in my evenings besides come home and like watch a movie and play pocket pool and go to bed. You know, this is just not this ain't it. So then right. I started doing it again. And yeah,
2: what a journey but, you have been on! What a journey we've all been on, honestly. It's true. To, to this what will your,
1: here. and you guys, Petey and Patty, both do social work in the day,
2: which is so fun. Such right. A fun, well, Petey,
1: Petey, kind of does. Petey doesn't really anymore, but dabbles in social work. So, how is that? How's that going with with comedy?
2: It is really interesting. It's kind of I I I totally understand the thing of. I do such a serious job and it's nice to be able to have some comedic relief in a very literal sense. But I was thinking about it this morning where it's like, it's so funny how I talk to my clients and we're like, hey, how's your sobriety going? Or how's this going? And then I go in the evening and I'm like, hey, do you guys do crack? Like It's just this really funny (laughs) contrast thing. If you're talking to people about really serious, deep life issues, then you come on stage and then you're just being really silly or talking about talking about these things as, as though it's not like a big deal but I found like the balance to be really hard because I feel like comedy is one of those things where it can either give or take everything from you if you're not careful um even I'll just on an energy take. level I'll, I'll go yeah, yeah, take. Take. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go with take That's yeah yeah I'm gonna go take on that yeah yeah it will just run you dry in every single way and so it's just like even even with things like i remember even 6 months ago i was like wow a mic at 10 p.m. that's totally fine now i'm like if i am not in bed by 10 p.m. i'm going to pass away like there's no way i'm going to survive till the next day so it's definitely been it's been good but i've i've not had to pull back but i've had to be a lot more intentional about how i do comedy uh to preserve my life basically
1: yeah you also have another job. Is it a job? You're, you're a pastor also,
2: correct? Well, so I recently, I actually recently transitioned out of being a pastor. And so I just started social work. So I've also going through this massive work shift. And the thing that was actually so funny is I, one of the things I loved when I was a pastor In comedies, I love the shock factor of being on stage, talking about these very serious but like silly topics, and being like, "Hey, by the way, I'm a pastor," and then just seeing the shock on people's faces because they were like, "I cannot imagine the combination of being a pastor and doing comedy. It seems like a very contradictory path."
1: Really, I feel like it's it makes total sense. I feel like one you get to be dirty, and the other one you don't. That's but they're basically the same shit. I mean, Right. right?
2: you're like this is your outlet ultimately to say everything that you cannot say to yeah.
1: you one you can talk about anal one you tell people not to do it i feel like
2: that's
0: <laughs> you know being a social worker having done that and saying it on stage i got more of that reaction like because i would come out blue tell the stuff i always tell and then be like oh yeah by the way i'm a this and they'd be like Bwah! you know right. and that, Reaction, pastor. In some circumstances, like some of the churches I know in DC, I could see how it would make perfect sense. I know some like really comedic who also were dirty pastors sometimes that'll come out and say like I had, there's this black church I know that one of my buddies goes to, and the New Year's Eve sermon the bishop comes out and he goes the word this year is better we got to do better this year and then he goes the hoes better stop hoe. That was like the first <laughs> admonition to the you know the congregation, and it's like, well, all right, I mean, I guess you know you have your truth there, but um,
2: yeah,
1: what yeah. pastor were you what religion
2: um so it was non-denominational Christian church wow, um, which I feel like when I say that people have like definitely like a specific image in mind where it's like like trendy hands in the air type of church experience, which we were like a small little church. It was like kind of like family oriented, which I liked. Um, But yeah, it's so funny. I've, I've been to church services where like a pastor is talking. I'm like, not like writing down what they're saying as I'm going to make that into a joke, but sometimes I'm like, man, I'm super like creatively inspired sometimes (laughs) listening to pastors talks. I'm like, you're such a good storyteller. Um, but yeah, I I I just find it funny in comedy where you're always trying to figure out what your point of view is as a comic and communicate that. And it's really easy to get boxed into like doing one thing or people believing one thing about yourself. And then you start saying more information about who you are and people go, What? Like that that doesn't check out. And so I feel like the thing about comedy that's interesting is making sure that the audience can Almost, like, accept that there's, like, a really diverse range of things that you are and can be. Um, and you're not just, like, I'm not just a woman that, like, talks about girly things and, like, how guys break my heart. It's, like, no, like, you know, we have ranges of thoughts and beliefs, you know, about things, so.
0: Yeah, I would say my topic or subject matter is more, like, non-denominational, but my, like, joke structure is more Catholic. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs>
2: That is really funny. That's a
0: really funny Uh, way of framing that. Style, like, you know, faith is actually a pretty fluid thing throughout life, I've found, you know. Um, I was raised sort of Catholic. Now I am kind of an atheist, but I was a more militant atheist, like, in my 20s. And now I just don't give a shit. I'm just like, okay. It's weird, but... I've never thought I'd come to a place of peace like that where I don't care what anybody else believes that much so long as they obey like laws
2: as long as they obey laws, sure as long as they're
1: not murdering people, that's cool yeah. right? you're yeah.
2: like, hey man, believe what you want but as soon as murder comes into the picture we're just not on the same page um, it's a very California laid back mindset, I really yeah. I respect it what, yeah. how
1: what, what's your, why did you decide to leave being a pastor? Was it because of comedy? Was it, are you still religious? Is it, did that have something to do with your faith?
2: I love it. My favorite thing is when I tell people they're like, wait, you're not a Christian anymore. And I'm like, no, 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 not, not necessarily that. Um, so it's another story for another day, but long, long story short, I think what I realized is there's so much about being a pastor that I loved and then there are some things that I just felt like were no longer aligning with who I am, what I'm pursuing, um, or just even honoring to how I'm wired, I guess. And I'm really passionate about community work and was kind of missing that aspect of social work, kind of being involved in the community. And and I I know that Comedy definitely affected that a lot as far as just like availability. Like part of my pastoral work was being available when people aren't at work. And comedy is basically that. So even just on a time frame, that was kind of a conflict. Um, and so I think comedy definitely has a role in in playing into that. But um and and the other thing too is that I feel like just in general being a pastor, I really loved it. I think right now I'm kind of rediscovering a more creative part of myself where I'm I'm trying to pursue things to help unlock that as opposed to kind of like boxing me in. And, and so, which is why I love comedy, because I feel like comedy is just a space where you get to explore creative endeavors in a really cool way.
0: Sure. I have to ask, because when I heard your name, I remember thinking at first, all right. She's Hispanic. Then I saw your government name, which I won't reveal. But what I yeah. then thought was like, if this is a stage name and she's Hispanic, that's so cool because it translates to like Patty Kills, as like right,
2: right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I am just white. Um, oh, okay. Spicy, spicy in the way that I'm white from Canada, um, but I married a Filipino man and that's his last name. I have never changed my name legally to said last name for a couple reasons, one just for visa things makes it complicated, but just in general I'm like the logistics of changing your last name is insane. Like an absolutely insane endeavor. Um but I actually have never thought about even just like the translation of cuz yeah, I think it means man who kills, right? Or something like now, that. I to kill. kill Patty it kills. literally It literally means
1: your name is in Spanish is Patty Kills.
2: Which I only wish people, the general public knew that because I feel like nobody really takes me seriously as like a physical threat. But I can be like, <laughs> it is it is my it is ultimately my identity that I could kill you. How do, should I choose to do so? But yeah, people right. really people tend to view me kind of like a small dog, where it's like, I know you have the spirit. To inflict injury, but you cannot carry that out um, because of your size. So, how tall? Are everyone... you? How tall am I? I'm five, three and a half. Oh, oh wow!
0: I pictured you taller for some reason.
2: Honestly, honestly smiley. I could see it, petite and
1: smiley. Lots, lots of smiles from Patty. Yeah,
2: from
1: the I, I, I can see that.
2: I, I, I see really, it. honestly, it makes me feel really good that you thought that I was a lot taller. Um, I, I, a lot of people make jokes that I have a friend who keeps telling people that I'm 4'11", which no offense to people who are 4'11", but it is very insulting to be seen as like much shorter than you are. Um, definitely not 4'11", that's,
1: definitely not. that's
2: memorable. yeah, yeah, but that's, definitely, that's definitely. memorably short.
1: No yeah. offense to anybody who's 4'11", but everybody, are yeah. 4'11. you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. For sure. I think no it's hygiene. the long hair.
0: Like I, I typically don't associate people with long hair as being beneath like five foot five or so. <laughs> so
2: yeah. Random. How yeah. Many, how so many people do you interact with just on a on a week to week?
0: How how many short people?
2: Or just, I just am so curious at the range of women that you interact with to where that's like the conclusion about hair length to height.
0: A lot. I, I'm telling you, I I feel like. <laughs> It's there's not too many Guinevere's beneath like five foot two.
2: PD's like I am literally surrounded by women. I'm yeah, surrounded yeah, yeah. by women of all heights, yeah. and they a hundred percent of the time never have long hair if they yeah. are below height.
0: Yeah, I know it's maybe not the uh. feminist stance, but yeah.
2: PD, is there any other information about women that we should know generally? Maybe educate us.
0: Oh, okay. Um, yeah, about the size of their Sarah Belt. No, um, I don't know. I'm listening.
1: Way to, way, way to get out of it. I was wondering what you were going to do with that. I know PD very well, and this could go south to a point where we might need an edit sure it <laughs> might be things where pd's gonna make a joke and then after we finish the podcast we're gonna have a phone call we're gonna have a group call and be like
2: <laughs> look do we keep it in <laughs> it's like hey pd love you but you can't you can't publicly talk about women that way anymore it's not this it does not work out
0: only privately with us yeah, yeah. sure
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 only on our text chain <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fun in games. So, um, wait, Patty. So, where you did say Canada? Are you from? What part of Canada?
2: Um, I'm from. I spent most of my life in Nova Scotia, Canada, so East Coast. Dartmouth. Um, do you just say Dartmouth? I did. Do you know? Okay, first of all, have you been to Nova Scotia? as why you're.
0: I have not. Here's the story with Dartmouth and me. Okay. Well, I Lena may have told you, may have not. Someone else, but I. I'm a big rap guy, huge hip-hop guy. And I even battle-rapped before in, like, Baltimore and stuff and other places. And one of the legends of, like, the spoken word kind of form of battle-rap where there's no beat is a guy from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, the dark side, Nova Scotia, named uh, Pat Stay. He actually was killed about a year ago, sadly. Um, Oh, my
2: gosh.
0: But he's absolutely just phenomenal. And there's a whole league of battle rap out there called King of the Dot or King of Toronto or whatever, where all these guys get together. And there's American battle rappers, there's Canadian ones. Occasionally there's an issue with guys coming from America because they have prior felonies and can't get over the border to battle. So then they have to like wait till they're cleared or blah, blah, blah. It's a whole Cool little subculture of rap music. So that's how I'm familiar with that.
2: Okay. I just want to say Petey is a complex, layered human being. I feel like the more that you talk about your layers like levels of interest, it is it's not necessarily shocking, but it's more just like I I just know that there's so much more about you that we don't know. But correct. This is why I love Petey, because yeah. he's
1: not what he seems. You see, Petey is one thing, and then the more he he is an onion of of interesting intelligent things. Well but it's true. You are. you are.
2: You are. You are you you are so interesting that way. I
1: mean, and appreciate- Dark,
2: no being able to reference Dartmouth is like a deep cut in that obviously people who are in Nova Scotia totally, like that's not an unfamiliar place. But for folks who know where Nova Scotia is, I have never heard someone go, oh Dartmouth. Like I've heard people go, oh Halifax, but Dartmouth is a deep cut and Honestly, props to you for knowing a man. I I didn't know the the guy you referenced, but I'm I'm grieving currently. Um, that's so sad. But yeah, no, Nova Scotia definitely has a lot going on. Objectively, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Unbiased, obviously. I um, have a
1: friend who just moved to one of my friends from high school. Just moved to a town in Nova Scotia that looks like a storybook. I forget oh, yeah, it's like in the middle of a mountain, all the houses are a different color. It's like it's beautiful.
2: Yeah, that is Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia is like every Wes Anderson movie yeah. or just very colorful, very small towny. Um the unfortunate part, I, I've been telling people this recently is I feel strongly about the fact that since I've moved to America, I'm just so much worse of a person. I feel like I just remember wow. what i when I've come back to Nova Scotia and like just interact with people, I'm like, these people are so nice. What happened to me? I think I'm nice now, but I'm like way more aggressive. Just I think angrier overall. I don't know what it is about the culture in America, but Nova Scotia truly is just the most lovely place. Um, Where in Nova Scotia are you from? So I'm from health. I'm like 30 minutes outside of the capital. So I'm I'm, like, 30 minutes from Dartmouth, um, the capital is Halifax. But, yeah, I grew- well, this is so embarrassing. I grew up in a town called Sackville, unironically. Um, but every time I tell people about it, they're like, well, that's kind of a weird name. Um, but, yeah, I spent most of my life there and moved when I – I moved to Philly in 2017. Um, but, yeah, I love the place. recommend people to go. Why Why did you move to Philly? What made you leave? So I was doing, well, I was dating a guy who I'm now married to. Oh. Conveniently. Yeah. Um, And I also was planning on doing my master's. And I don't know, like when you're young and you're like, I can just move to a totally different country without, not without thinking about it, but genuinely out of like, oh yeah, that's like such, now as a 28 year old, if someone asked me to move to a different country, I'd be like. Absolutely not. Unless my lifestyle is going up significantly higher, there's no way that I would just uproot and go. Um, but I'm grateful I have cause obviously I've loved living in the U S for many reasons, but wow. No, I, how did you, how did you meet your husband? My, um, ex-boyfriend actually introduced us, um, which is so Great. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Which we always laugh at. Um, cause I actually, when my, my ex-boyfriend introduced us, the way he talked about my husband was, I was like, "Are you in love with him? Like, do you do you want to be with him?" Because the way he was describing him was like, "He's just the best. He's the funniest. He's the nicest." And so I was just like, "Okay, I feel like you're in- Like, I feel like eventually you're gonna come out and tell me like I actually want to be with him." Who was yeah, the guy?
0: Gonna- him and me. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: So we always laugh at our origin story for that. So reason. he introduced. Were you dating the other guy when he introduced you? Yeah, we were both, we were both dating other people at the time. And so when we met, it's like, you know, sometimes when you meet people and you have like instant connection and you're kind of like, all right, reel it back. First of all, you're in, your ex-boyfriend is introducing you to someone that he wants you to like, but not in that way. Um, But we, me and that guy had dated for like close to three years. And when we broke up, um, I actually saw, my husband's name is Noah. I saw him at a conference and I just had this like new confidence. I was like, I'm single. I am truly ready to mingle. Like I so can. he was living in Canada too. No, he was you- living in the U S.
1: Okay. But you were living in Canada and he just was, was like visiting Canada or like how so did I,
2: that- the conference, it was a church conference. The conference that I went to was in the U S um really really small world situation where I was like how in the world after like three years later am I running into you in New York like it was such a random run-in situation so um yeah yeah and he was four he's four years young older than me um which when now it that's such an insignificant amount of time. But when you're like 20, it's like, oh, my gosh, a 24-year-old guy's interested in me. Like, that's crazy. Um, so, yeah, really funny connection.
1: Hmm. So then you guys did long distance
2: and you moved. And then I moved. Yeah. So we're, yeah, yeah this is unofficially green card marriage for sure. Oh, nice. It. Yeah. Um, don't tell the government. But that is what it is secret safer i'm i'm a product
1: of a green card marriage and i also moved here to get married from another country Uh, oh wow but but i did not uh i had i had the passport already
2: i was lucky enough to have that right right right
1: you're like i I choose
2: you i don't need you in the same way that patty needs her husband but i do want you and love you so yeah yeah
1: i did i did do that i did also move here from another country and it's and especially i feel like dc is very specific mm-hmm. but like the east coast in general is very specific at least from where i came from did you find it to be like really did you have a lot of culture shock coming from Canada?
2: yeah i i just think to me it was okay so this is such a silly example but like one of the things is when i when i would take ubers when i first moved to the country i would get in the front seat because i thought my Uber driver must want to connect and chat and like get to know me. So I'd get in the front and at some point I had an Uber driver go, please do not sit in the front. Like, please sit in the back. And I realized it's like, <laughs> okay, like people here wow. don't, people here, like, and the, actually that's like a very respectable thing to be like, please don't try to get to know me so intimately. But it's just, I think the, the relative, uh openness to connection is just a little different. Um whereas like in Nova Scotia, like again, I'd be sitting at a coffee shop, random people are just chatting it up, you know, just talking, whatever. Um, whereas here people are a little bit less friendly, which is again fine. It's just normal. Um, I think the other thing to me the biggest shocker honestly of moving to the US was the college situation cuz my my college tuition i was at one of the more expensive schools not because it was one of the best it just happened to be more expensive and it's like 7000 a year and i'm talking to i'm talking to people here and i'm like i don't understand how more people aren't selling their bodies to pay for college like this is such an un Like, it just makes me laugh when people are like, yeah, I got, like, an arts degree. And it's like, how much debt are you in? They're like $200,000. I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense. It does
0: not make any sense. The fucking ripoff. Yeah, it's crazy. It's
1: a fucking ripoff. I was actually talking about this. I just did. I just came back from a family vacation. And my parents are, like, old school. You know, my dad was an immigrant. And, like, my my parents are very obsessed with, like, college. And... I was talking to them. I'm like, I don't see millennials having this like gotta get you into a great school because that's gonna lead to this. Like I feel like millennials and under, like I'm a millennial now, I have kids. Like I don't value college the same way because I because you don't it doesn't necessarily guarantee you
2: anything. Absolutely not. Like Like,
1: especially if you're getting an arts degree. I have a theater degree from one of the best schools. In the country, no, I mean, not to break.
2: But, like, it did do shit for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it is... It I mean, me. So, I got my master's to have job security. I was like, this is how you get right. job security. You have high level of education. My ma- I did my master's in Philly. I did an accelerated program, so it was just a year. And my, I'm, my master's for a year here was more than my entire undergrad in Canada. And it was the most and I tell people now I'm like if you're applying for jobs you will be so heartbroken time after time guys I applied for an entry-level job after getting my master's with the Girl Scouts and got denied and was like this doesn't mean anything I don't know why I've paid so much money so that people I don't even want a job with are rejecting me this is too much Um, so yeah college now feels very I feel like I need to get a PhD. And and but then if I get a PhD, people are like, oh, you're actually also overqualified. We can't pay you. Um
0: Yeah, if you're gonna get a PhD, you know, you better be a professor or who cares.
2: <laughs> yeah. It is unfortunate.
0: It I'll is I think you're gonna see and you're seeing it now, a resurgence of like the trades. Because I think for a long time, these big degrees got people to say, well, I don't have to actually like do physical labor and I can make like a decent living. But that just doesn't seem to be the case as much. So they hear, oh, hey, I don't have to take on debt. I can, you know, get in this steam fitters apprenticeship and I'll bust my ass for three years and go to class after spending like 4 a.m., to 1 p.m., You know, fixing pipes or something underneath a government edifice, but I'll have that trade and make like a hundred fifty thousand a year in the next like five or six years. So, hey, you know, we're all gonna get fucked either way. So it's kind of returning back to (laughs) blue collar man. Yeah, totally, America.
2: Yeah, and it's funny because I so I so respect Gen Z for being creative with what jobs look like, but it it drives me crazy when i see TikToks or things on instagram where people are like do you want to make five figures every month it's as simple as blah 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 and i'm like i don't understand the economy i just don't understand the economy how people are struggling to find real jobs but somehow via the internet people are making millions for just posting things or like i, I just am like i don't i would love to make a living wage well, preferably, actually, number one, I'd love to be independently wealthy and never have to work in my life. That'll never happen. So then the second one is just, like, just work a living wage job that I can afford to do fun things every so often. Um, But, yeah, this economy, guys.
0: Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah, being independently wealthy is how you can make five figures a month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's good. That's good advice. Yeah,
1: PD also has a lot of great financial advice. No joke. That's true. Oh my That's true. One of the what one, one of the many things. Right, many talents of PD. Great <laughs> not kidding. Want to make a billion like dollars?
0: Just invest a billion. <laughs>
1: That's good. That's good. So. Patty, what do you have coming up? What are your goals for the rest of the year?
2: So I think my goals are, Um, I, I've realized it's so one of the things that even what you were talking about, as far as even just comparing generations of being in comedy, I feel like what I've observed from our, my cohort, I guess, is there's so much pressure there's there's a hustle that sometimes feels disproportionate to our level meaning like okay I've been doing comedy for like a little over a year this like sense of I think in my mind about like a few months ago even my goal was okay there are certain rooms that I want to get in by the time this time rolls around which is such a hard goal because first of all it's not my control like I can do things but ultimately I'm not the one doing the bookings um And then I think when you do that, it's so easy to get lost in what the actual goal goal of comedy is, which is to be funny and to work on being funny. I feel like right now I'm trying to be a lot more intentional with writing. Um, I'm trying to be a lot more intentional with creative goals like writing sketches, writing Scripts like just trying to stretch myself to just really working on the actual craft and not just the the appearance of doing well in comedy. Um so I'm trying to do things a little bit more discreetly, I guess, on that level of just trying to get better. Um and and working with people that are gonna help me get better. But um I mean, I, I think the other thing is I never thought I dunno Every six months, my goals as far as what I'm hoping on a long term level, comedy will be. But I don't think I ever thought, hmm, I really would love to get paid. But I'm like, no, I really want to like like I really want to be a working comic in a way where we know what I'm doing is not just for funsies, but I'm I'm making money doing it. I'm having fun. I'm I'm getting better. Um, I want to continue to get better at hosting. Um, that's why I've loved working with the Draft House. I feel like the Draft House has been such a space where I've, like, loved just having space to perform in, in front of bigger crowds um, and get better at hosting. So I feel like mainly, honestly, is I'm, like, just trying to quietly get funnier. Um, that is my my focus right now.
1: That's a, that's a great goal. And it's interesting you talk about the pressure. I think one of the unfortunate things with starting comedy... And you'll see this is that you have to kind of start so invested you just have to you have to do yeah. so much comedy in the beginning and you have to go so in so hard yeah then then you kind of come out and you're like wait do I even like this yeah and it happens like a few years later you're like is this for me I'm not even sure I've been doing this yeah. so much and then you kind of you spend so much time kind of like racing after the stage time yeah that you forget like wait i'm not sure and then you hit a point where you have a lot of it maybe i'm just being moving and you're just and you're like i'm not i didn't really think this through but here we are yeah you know yeah
0: no i mean i as as somebody who hasn't really done it so much in the last since the pandemic i could count maybe like 10 times live since that happened. I just kind of, am like, I'm happy in a lot of ways, more so than I've ever been. But on the other hand, I'm like, wow, that was a big sunken cost in a way. Every now and then it kind of crosses my mind. Like I should be out there. I could have done other things, but that time has passed. But I also know somewhere every now and then when I think of something really funny that I think has to be said or whatever, that I will eventually return. And, you know, every time I do briefly return, I think the last was the State Theater back in May, and I had like a great set and everything, and then... Jose asked me to host the next month. And I was like, actually, I can't do it because I had something else. But I was like, he's like, they really like you there. And I was like, well, I like it there. Eventually, I will reemerge. But it's just going to be a different thing. Also, being 42, you just get older. You get more tired. You talked earlier about going to bed at like 10. I'm like, yeah, Yeah. fuck this. Like 1130 open mics. I, I don't see it.
2: Absolutely not. Yeah. No. And the day, the day you do, I know, I know. And the day that you do come back will be a celebratory day, you know, but um, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where I remember one of my first shows, I had a guy tell me, if you're not performing six nights, six nights a week, you're not going to get better. and he was telling me he hits like at least two or three mics a night in those six nights and I remember being because I at that point I was doing maybe one mic a week and I was like whoa this is crazy and and so it's funny because when you start you're watching what everyone else is doing and you're going oh I should be doing that like I if you're doing three mics a night I should be doing three mics a night and what I realized is like there have been nights where I've hit that many mics and by the third set I am worse. I have gotten worse because it's just not every person has to figure out how to do comedy in a way where you're actually growing. Yeah, and...
1: There is, there is a, such a thing as doing too much. I've yeah. hit that point many times where I'm doing too much and I'm actually not as funny because I'm just Yeah. Because
2: you're just ex- you're exhausted. You're yeah. depleted. You stop. You just you you get Um, overly critical of yourself I'm super pro taking breaks like there are weeks where I've 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 had a lot of book shows I've been really hitting the pavement and I'm like the only way for me to continue doing this if I do it in a sustainable way and if that means needing to take the week off so that I come back like fresh faced and feeling like I believe in the gift of laughter again like I will absolutely do that but Yeah, I've had to stop letting other people be the reference point for how I do comedy because I'm just like, we're different people. We have everything about us is different just on the basis of like, I'm me and you are you. And, um, Yeah, because otherwise I've just seen myself completely be drained by comedy when I don't do that, so.
0: I mean, you know, even speaking to like the lateness of it and granted, I did say earlier, I am a little older, so the sleep hits earlier, but I was just reading a book about how much like attention has shifted and how we as a country have gotten so terrible on maintaining deep focus on things. But it talked about how, you know, if you're awake for 19 hours, you start making mistakes almost as if you're like drunk. And I can remember like doing late nights outside of the old <laughs> craft house. And I'd have these conversations and these comic hangs. And I've been in recovery from alcohol for like over 17 years. But then I'd wake up the next morning with kind of like a weird Sleep deprivation hangover, and I'd like review and self audit the things I said at like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. to other people. And I'm like, God, I'm such a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. Did somebody spike my Fanta or something? Like, right. I. Right. <laughs>
2: You're like, I unfortunately can't say, hey, it was the tequila. I was like, no, that was just me. That was just <laughs> yeah. 100% the most authentic version of myself that offended you. Um, and that's the other thing. I um, I stopped drinking a year before I started comedy. And I'm so glad. Because I'm also a lightweight. Like, I've gotten tipsy off of drinking, like, half one of those, like, little cooler situations. And I just feel like... I've talked to so many comics who are like, I was super blasted when I performed. And it sucks. I feel like it's never a good look to no. be super drunk while you're performing. Um, I don't know how
1: people do that. I mean, I've been sober for a very long time. And I I was sober when I started comedy. And a lot of people are like, I can't do comedy not like sober at all. Like I've met a lot of comics who have like talked to me like, how do you get on stage not having had like a drink or like smoking some weed before or just something to relax you? I'm like, how do you get on there and remember what to say?
2: Yeah, totally, (laughs) totally. I slur my speech just because I didn't get enough sleep. Like I I say stupid yeah. things, again, just on my own. So having any kind of fuel to saying stupid things is unhelpful for sure. It's yeah. also funny when you watch someone doing comedy and you're like, you're definitely just slightly over, I think, what you can to actually do this. But
1: yep. yeah. yeah. I black out on stage all the time without alcohol. Yeah. You know, I say like people will tell me specifically when I get like, pissed off at a crowd, I will just black out. And I will say, and I don't remember, like, what I say to them, but I, Mm -hmm. it's like something I'm working on in comedy, like, I'll go overboard. Like, I'm just too mean sometimes. And then comics will, like, laugh and tell me what I said, and I don't remember saying that. I was just trying
2: to figure it out, and I was just mad at them.
1: Yeah. All the time,
2: I black out. I I I I love an alter ego moment especially when (laughs) when in a mean space oh yeah well yeah big big part big part of my life yeah yeah anyway all
1: right patty what shows do you have coming up tell us where can we see you where can we get at you on
2: socials tell us all the things okay well i um i'm gonna be i one of the places i've loved being at regularly is room 808 that's been like my favorite room Honestly, um, I 100% recommend whether I'm there or not. It's just a great space. Great. Um, otherwise, I've got I've got a couple of shows in Maryland. I'm actually headlining for Encore at the end of March, nice. which is going to be fun. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Patty B. Mata or Patty B. Killer. Um, yeah. Patty B. Kills. Um, and yeah, I would love for you to come <laughs>
1: for you to come to a show
2: that's awesome well um
1: pd where can they see you anywhere are you doing shows no
0: so if you want to follow me steelborn dc on instagram i'm not really doing the facebook so much just request me and if i know you're someone in the Thing, I'll honor it. Um, shows I don't have any. You'll see me at baseball card shows. If any of you are in the hobby, I'm slanging and banging slabs. So uh, you know, but I'll be back on this podcast talking shit. So if you enjoyed it, come back. Go see Elena and Patty's shows. There you go. Okay.
2: Okay, wait, but really quickly though, Petey, where can we see you rap? I feel like that's what everybody listening is ultimately wanting answers for.
0: Sure. Uh, you go on YouTube and you can type (laughs) steelborn versus luck dollars. I'm not kidding, that's the name, it's s t e e l e b o r n. And that battle is up there, but also, um, you know, I'll be dropping something sometime soon because I I like rhyming again, all that.
1: That's
0: awesome, yeah, ma'am. Thank you. Let me know what you got.
1: Find me on Instagram, Elena Blondita. Uh, this day, these days, there's a lot of Spanish going on for me. So this is a few. This is this podcast is one of the few English comedy things I'm still doing. Uh, but if you are listening to this and you speak Spanish, uh, Room 808 is a place Patty mentioned. We have a show there March 8th here in DC. I'm opening for Carlos Vallarta in Spanish here in DC on May 10th. And I think that's it for DC. Um, if you're not in DC, I'm on tour. All of March uh, in Spanish with Angela Colina. All those dates. I'm doing Philadelphia, Richmond, Dallas. You can find all those dates on my Instagram, Elena Blondita. TikTok, Elena Blondita, YouTube, Elena Blondita. Thank you guys so much for listening. See you soon.
0: All right, peace.